The scripture reading today is Paul's letter to Philemon. You can find it printed on page 9 of your worship folder. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker, to Apphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. When I remember you in my prayers, I always thank my God, because I hear of your love for all the saints and your faith towards the Lord Jesus. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective when you perceive all the good that we may do for Christ. I have indeed received much joy and encouragement from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, my brother. For this reason, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do your duty, yet I would rather appeal to you on the basis of love. And I, Paul, do this as an old man, and now also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I am appealing to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I have become during my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, that is, my own heart, back to you. I wanted to keep him here with me so that he might be of service to me in your place during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent, in order that your good deed might be voluntary and not something forced. Perhaps this is the reason he was separated from you for a while, so that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but as more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. I say nothing about your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, let me have this benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I am writing to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. One thing more, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping through your prayers to be restored to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Jesus sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The word of the Lord. Take a moment now for silent reflection. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you meet us here today. We thank you for your words opened up us in Scripture. We thank you that you love us so deeply, and we ask that through this time together you would, as we sing together, bind us closer together to each other and to you in love. I pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So Philemon, 
uh, is a book we don't love to read from. Um, but it was in the lectionary, and I was like, let's do this. Uh, <laughs> uh, the question becomes, though, why does this text matter to us today? We're not slaveholders. Slavery still exists in the world today. But everyone, I would think, in this room would acknowledge that it's a bad thing. We don't believe in slavery. We don't think it's good. Uh, we have the benefit of history, for sure. Um, and we have our own developed conscience. Um, and so slavery is bad. So why read a book about Paul's wrestling with slavery? Why read a book where there's this strange dance going on between Paul and Philemon about whether a slave should be returned or not? As we try to guess Paul's intentions and maybe roll our eyes a little bit or chuckle at his indirectness or at his attempts to be self-effacing, where he says, you don't owe me anything, but you actually owe me your life. And we're kind of like, okay, <laughs> not super humble there. So why do we read a book like Philemon? Um, and for me, the answer is that it tells us, it shows us how active God can be in our lives. Truly active, not just in our spiritual development, which is really important, but active in our day-to-day -day lives and the things that matter the most to us. And so today we're actually not going to focus on Paul. We're not going to focus on Philemon, uh, but we're going to focus on Onesimus. Uh, he is the person who's at the center of this story. And so we're going to unpack his story a little bit. And then we're going to talk about the very end of the book where uh, Paul casts some kind of vision for reconciliation uh, that he proposes while he wrestles with the tension that maybe we wrestle with in a different way. And that's the tension between being both a friend to Philemon, a slaveholder, and a friend to Onesimus, an escaped slave. So God's hand in this story may not seem super active at first because he's barely mentioned, uh, but I've found in my own life, and maybe you feel the same way, that we don't always see God at work until later. So the fact that God's movement is not super obvious in this text actually makes me feel better because I don't always see God's movement until sometimes years later when I'm like, oh, God did that. God moved me through that situation. God opened that door. God shut that door, thank God. Though I cried over it at the time, good thing. Um, so sometimes God's movements aren't obvious. And the reason they're not obvious is that we're not fully paying attention. And the reason we're not paying attention is that there's so much else going on, right? There are other figures, other characters that are looming much larger in the story that almost block out God's movement because we're not paying full attention to it. Uh, the larger characters in this story are obviously Philemon and Paul. Like, those are the names that come up the most. Those are the people telling the story. And in your own life, the person who looms large, depending on the day of the week, is maybe your boss, maybe it's your partner, maybe it's your loudest friend who brings all the drama, uh, maybe it's political figures, right? We turn on TV and there's just madness happening all the time, and it feels like these people are the ones shaping our reality. And those things are real. They're, they're really happening and they're really important, but they're not all that there is to it. But sometimes the figures that loom largest, the ones with the power and the authority to write a letter 
to receive a letter, to own slaves, to decide their fate, to decide the budget of our country. Like, those people loom large, and they block out everything else. So I mentioned that we're not going to dig into the slavery piece, um, but I know that's a question that pops up in people's mind because it's so central to this book. Um, and people disagree, honestly. They disagree about what Paul was or was not trying to say. Was he being vague? Was he in a roundabout way trying to tell Philemon he should free Onesimus? Or was he just simply returning him as property almost and then telling Philemon to do as he pleased and just offering some suggestion? Some say Paul was a man of his time. I think that's a little bit of a weak argument. Um, some say he was misunderstood, maybe. I lean towards Paul trying to move towards freedom. I lean towards him trying to soar out his theology on the pages before us. And if Paul was pro-slavery, I'll just say it frankly, he was wrong. I think he was wrong if that's where he stood. But we don't know exactly where he was. Um, but I do acknowledge that, yes, that is a big part of the undercurrent of the story. Um, but because, like I said, we agree on slavery, um, I want us to move back to what we do know from the story as opposed to the pieces we don't. Um, so laying a little bit of the groundwork for the different characters. So Paul describes himself as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Now, he says this kind of metaphorically, but also physically. He is in prison. This is known as one of his prison letters. Um, he seems to be a person who expects obedience from the way he spoke to Philemon. He expects people to um, acknowledge his power as an apostle and to respond accordingly. And what do we know about Philemon? So Philemon runs a church in his home. I think that was one of the pieces I struggled with. Like, oh, if you look through church history and you kind of just Google Philemon, um, he comes up as a saint in the church. He was running a church with, um, we believe, his wife and his children. It was in his house. Um, and Paul refers to him as someone who loves this church, who refreshes the hearts of the saints. And he appears to be a convert of Paul's. That's what we know about Philemon. And then Paul, again, the person who looms large, describes Onesimus. And the words he uses here are a little bit different. So whereas he talks to Philemon as a dear friend and um, a fellow worker in the church, he describes Onesimus as my child, someone who is useful, my own heart. And while uh, the, the child part and the my own heart feel loving, there's also this sense of ownership almost, a sense of being in charge in some ways of where Onesimus goes and where he doesn't go. So I wanted to highlight what we do know from Paul. Um, but again, I'm going to pivot us back to Onesimus. I'm going to keep doing this, pivot us back to Onesimus. So let's just focus on him. He is the point of the entire letter. And um, for a long time, I actually wanted this book to be called Onesimus instead of the letter to Philemon. And I realized it was a letter to Philemon, but it was about Onesimus, and I just feel like he should have had the name. And I think part of it is that um, I fear the loss of that story. And the reason I fear that loss is that I fear it for myself. I fear the loss of my narrative at the hands of people who have the power to shape it. 
And maybe this has happened to you, right? Like maybe you grew up in a household where your parents looked at you and said, you can be anything you want to be. And then you went out into the real world and people let you know that that was not the case. Or perhaps you weren't quite as fortunate and the people who told you who you could and could not be were the parents and the teachers and the churches who were supposed to kind of gird you up for the world. And this happened to me. I remember when I was little, I fancied myself an artist. Like, I just thought, like, this is so great. My mom always tells me that I could just spend hours just drawing. She could just, like, leave me somewhere. Like, go do a chore and come back. And I would still be there with my coloring pencils and with my markers, and I'd be drawing and drawing. Um, and then I started second grade. And I, I mean, I just remember it was 30 years ago, and I still remember it like it was yesterday. I had uh, my paint sets out, and I had my paper, and we're doing this class project, I'm not sure what it was. And I had it in my mind that I was going to do this brown background against which I was going to, I don't know, draw other stuff. And it was just taking me forever with this little tiny brushes they give you to like paint the whole paper brown. And so I poured some of the paint onto the paper because I was like, I'll just spread it, that's so much faster. Um, and my teacher, Mrs. Smith, walked up to me and she goes, that's not how we paint. Don't you know how to paint? Have you ever done art before? And I was like, oh, I, I was doing it wrong. I don't know how to do art. I must not be an artist. That's just not who I am. She shifted my whole narrative. And she, I mean, I don't know if she's still alive, but I, I bet she doesn't remember that. That was probably a comment in passing. But it shifted my narrative, right? It shifted my identity. No longer was I an artist in my seven-year-old mind, right? And maybe you've had this happen. Maybe this happened to you last week when you went to work and somebody told you you weren't who you thought you were or that you weren't good at what you thought you were. Maybe this happened to you in church when you were a teenager, right? Maybe you had this identity and you walked in and they let you know that that identity was not okay. It happens to us in all these different places. And so I'm really sensitive to Nisimus' story. I'm sensitive that it's going to get lost in the shuffle because it's so easy to have somebody else tell your narrative. Um, as Jay mentioned earlier, I preached here in July, like the end of July, about a month and a half ago. And when I came, um, if you weren't there or if you just don't remember, I shared about um, the work I've been doing at the county jail and how I've been working closely with a lady there named LaCarla for the past two and a half years and how we will be sharing at the Night for City Hope that Paul talked about. We'll be sharing our story together there. Um, and when I first approached her about whether she wanted to be one of the stories for A Night for City Hope, I did it with a lot of like care because I was worried about this exact thing. I was worried that somebody empowered, this time me, would come in and shape in front of everybody her narrative and tell her story the way I perceived it. And I wanted to be really careful that she felt like she could tell her story in her words. And I told her, you know, we're gonna write a script and then I'll share it with you. We're gonna come up with the questions together and then we bring it back to you. Anything you take out is out. You have control over this. And it's again because understanding the power of stories is central and being able to own your own story is important. It's important for us, but it's important for the same reason it's important to read Anisimus' story. It's important because when we miss out 
on somebody's story, when we hear it wrong, when we tell it in our own way, we're missing out on the details of how God was active in that person's life. We are reworking the story in such a way that we miss out on the ways that God moves and shapes people in very particular and specific, not general, particular specific ways. But in order to do this, we have to listen to people's stories. And so we have to listen to Onesimus' story. Um, one of the things that struck me in this text that is easy to move is verse 15, or to miss is verse 15, where Paul is telling Philemon, perhaps this is why Onesimus was parted from you for a while. It's like he was parted from you. Well, there's an agent there, right? Like things don't just kind of happen. Um, and it actually made me think of uh, my daughters. I remember maybe it's probably like a month ago, you know, they come running to the kitchen, the little one's yelling, and she's crying, and she's, she has a little bite mark on her arm. And I'm just like, what happened? And the older two, right on her heels, she got bit. <laughs> Did she? <laughs> By whom? You know, there's an agent there, right? And so as I read this story, it's like, he was parted from you. It's like, who? Who parted Anisimus from Philemon? And I think it was God. I think God did that. I think that Philemon had this house church and that Onesimus being a slave in that household heard the gospel. And I think it moved him towards freedom. The common narrative, the assumption is that Onesimus wasn't Christian. The assumption is that he ran away from Philemon and that it was wrong for him to run away from his Christian master, that he stumbled around Rome because he was trying to lose himself in a large city. He happened, do you see how many circumstances? He happened upon Paul, and Paul brought him to the faith. But what if it was the other way around? What if um, Onesimus heard the gospel, and that very message, the message that God so loved the world, the message that God created all things and is reconciling everything to himself, what if that gospel is what compelled Anismus to run away? And that running away was not an act of disobedience, but the opposite. He was seeking the freedom that God has sent him to seek. What if that was the turning point? What if he had seen Paul on some other trip or had heard that Paul was a friend of Philemon? And what if he had sought him out? Because he knew that by Roman law, he could petition a friend of his master to request manumission, to request that Philemon free him. What if Onesimus is not this agentless, uninventive person who happened to be a slave and stumbled through all these things, but rather someone who took agency and whose gospel, who the gospel message spoke to his heart and told him, this is your path to freedom, and God just kept opening the doors. How hard is it to find a prisoner in Rome? Like, I don't even, how did he even get into the jail? I don't know. It took me like six months to get into the county jail in San Francisco. So I don't know how long it took him. Does he just show up and say, hey, can I talk to Paul? But he was seeking him out, right? And I think that there's something there about understanding that Onesimus was not a passive character in his own story. And he, like you and me, albeit with completely different circumstances, I don't want to compare anything we're living through today with slavery, but with different circumstances, he too, like all of us, 
like everyone in the world, I would venture, is looking for dignity, to have it affirmed, is looking for fullness, is looking for a decent life, is looking for that quality um, of life. And Onesimus was seeking that out. And God provided a way for it. God was not a passive character in Onesimus' life. And he's not a passive character in ours. God was actively and clearly shaping his story. He was with him. Unless we think that God only focuses um, on certain individuals, I'm going to take us back to Paul and Philemon, because God shaped their lives too. Um, Their stories are important, and part of me wants to skip them over, because again, they've received their due. Um, But God was shaping them too. Um, He was shaping Philemon, who was a slave master. He was shaping Paul, who was an apostle of Christ, and trying to figure out what it meant to do justice. Um, and this was honestly a good reminder to me when I wanted to like skip over Paul and Philemon, just stick with Onesimus, that we don't know the way God moves in our lives. We don't know the way God moves in other people's lives, even people whose actions we don't agree with, whose values we can't stand by. God is shaping and moving in their lives as well, and we only know a fraction of what God is doing. So how was God shaping Philemon? Was it a wake-up call that Onesimus ran away? Did Philemon know that Onesimus had become a believer in his own household? What did this mean for the fact that Philemon probably had other slaves? Was he starting to get worried? Or were his eyes opening up to the possibility? Um, Paul says that Onesimus was a gift to Philemon. Um, I thought it was interesting that he wrote... He's a gift to me, Paul, but how much more to you? What was Paul hinting at, and what did Philemon read of that? Um, Paul recognized the impact that being friends with Onesimus had in his life, and he was giving Philemon a taste of that. Who can we hear more from in our own lives? Who could we be shaped by if we treated them as equals? if we were open to hearing the stories of being in proximity with people different from us. Um, I'm going to tell you about Night for City here one more time. Um, there is um, another artist that's sharing there who's actually a, um, our photographer in residence at the City Hope House. And he, if you've been to the City Hope Center, all those pictures on the wall, he took those. Um, but aside from his work with City Hope, he Uh, started this organization called um, Tender Souls, because he focuses specifically in the tenderloin. And he has this gift, if you follow him, you can find him on Instagram, and um, he has this gift for hearing people's stories. He just like goes up to people and isn't like, hey, can I record your story? Because I do this blog thing, and I'm, he's just like talking to people and listening to them. And then he asks them, can I share your story? Can I share your photo? And he doesn't, edited a bunch. He doesn't filter it. He's not like, oh, I have this theme for the year, and I'm going to fit your story into my theme. He's just like, here's this person, and here's this person, and here's this person, and he lets you just see how their lives are shaped and how God is moving through their lives without providing a lot of context. Um, And I've always admired his work in part because I like to explain I like to flesh things out. I like to be detailed. And it's hard when you just kind of let things sit. But what does it mean to just listen? To just take someone's story at face value 
and to be open to hearing a new message from God and to seeing God active in ways and in people that maybe you didn't realize he was moving through. The last thing I'll say about Paul's focus on on Philemon is um, his last little quip, which I just found hilarious, which is, um, prepare a room for me because I'm come come visit. Uh, It felt a little bit like, so I'm being vague, I'm being vague. I'm going to come check up on you, so please have a room ready for me. So, so these are all the ways that I think that Paul's letter are shaping Philemon. Um, Onesimus as a gift, what does it look like to listen to someone as an equal? And what ways can you be open to God's movement and seeing God's activity by being more... Um, aware, just aware and listening um, to what God is doing. Um, And just as God was shaping Onesimus and he was shaping Philemon through Paul, he was shaping Paul himself. Paul being in proximity with both Philemon and Onesimus. um, I think he was struggling. I think the letter, the the back and forth you hear, the the lack of directness, which is just a complete rub against my personality. Um, Here's what you ought to do. I would rather appeal to you on the basis of love. I'm just like, issue a cease and desist order on slavery. I'm like, just say say it. Um, But, you know, that's where you have to remember people's histories. Like, Paul used to be such an enforcer of the law to the point of killing people. Like, that's who Paul used to be before he came to Christ. And now as justice tugs on his heart, he's trying to move the needle without the harshness he used to have. And that helped me have a little bit of compassion on Paul while also realizing, yes, the fact that he was not super clear meant that this text has been used for a long time to justify slavery. It means that he's prioritizing Philemon's feelings over Onesimus' freedom And yet God is still working in him, and God is shaping him, and God is close to him. And Paul was also, um, yeah, trying to figure out how to lead churches, right? He was writing from his jail. Um, Anyone here who is um, in any form of leadership, whether it's in your house or in a nonprofit or a company or within the church or a mixture of all those things, um, Leading a church is hard, and one of the things that I honestly didn't realize until I started digging into this letter is that there is another letter that um, was issued at the same time by Paul, and it was the letter to the Colossians. Um, And you may, uh, depending on how much you read the Bible, you may remember pieces of this, and part of it just because it's quoted often. So it's the verses where it says, wives obey your husbands. Children, listen to your fathers. Slaves, obey your masters. That's the section. And then you read at the end where it says, you know, all all our greetings and farewells. And who's delivering the letter? Onesimus. Onesimus, the escaped slave, is delivering a letter to the Colossians on the same trip where he's delivering this letter, hopefully for freedom from Philemon, saying, slaves, obey your masters. The the relationship that Paul had with Onesimus had not yet translated from the personal to the general. And it's interesting to see Paul's movement in that. And I'm not sure what to do with that. I'm not sure um, 
what happened with that. I'm not sure what Onesimus was feeling. Um, and I don't mind telling all of you that I just don't know. Like, I just don't know because I think that's how we need to approach Scripture. There are limits to what we read in these letters because we don't know necessarily what happened um, in everybody's specific life afterwards. We do know, we do know that God remained active because he hasn't stopped moving because he's still active with us today. So we know that he kept shaping Paul. We know that he kept shaping uh, Philemon. We know that he kept shaping the Colossians. We know that he kept shaping all of us, right? He's still shaping all of us. Um, So the last piece I'll share with you today is um, what I mentioned at the beginning, which was the very end of the text, where Paul uh, um, lays out a bit of a blueprint for reconciliation. He calls Philemon and Onesimus to be reconciled to one another. And I struggle with this because I wonder if Paul is overstepping his new relationship uh, with Onesimus. For him to say, return to your master. I don't know what's going to happen to you. You guys should be friends. Like, unity is so great. And I feel like we haven't figured this out. Like, they didn't figure it out. We haven't figured it out as, like, just a global church. Like, what does unity mean? What does it mean to live in harmony with somebody who has hurt you? And was that Paul's responsibility as a leader in the church? And what does it look like? What does it look like to live in community with someone who has hurt you? And I want to stop there for a second and just make it really clear that I'm not talking about abuse. I am not talking, like if you're hearing me and you or a friend or somebody is like in an abusive relationship, that's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about staying in in a situation of domestic violence. We're not talking about staying in a place where you are being abused. That is not what the scriptures are calling you to do. So I just want to be really clear that that is not where we're going. That's not where this text is going. It's not about abuse. It's about how do we connect with other people? How do we have true reconciliation? Because I would argue that a slave master slave relationship is inherently abusive at its deepest level. So what is Paul calling us to here? Um, Do I think God wants reconciliation within the church and within the world? Yes. Do I think God freed Onesimus so he would be returned to his slave master? No. I don't think that's where he was going with it. But I do think that Paul was starting to work out the beginnings of what reconciliation in the church could look like. He talked about welcome. And I would extend it to say what I think the the Argo scripture says, which is welcoming people for who they are in Christ not just for who they are in the world or who we say that they are, going back to the narrative piece, but welcoming them truly for who they are in Christ is that first step of reconciliation. Um, Paul then talks about restitution, but he makes it one way. He says, I will pay you back for anything Onesimus took from you or the loss of his labor or whatever the case may be. Uh, But what about making it up to those who have been hurt? What is restitution look like when we've caused the hurt? What is it that we need to give up in order to create a truly reconciled relationship? And then the last piece that Paul talks about, and it's the one I, I chuckled at about, I'm going to come see and make sure you're doing the thing. 
prepare a guest room for me. Um, it's great that Philemon is accountable to Paul, but shouldn't Philemon be accountable to Onesimus? Like, what does it mean to be accountable to those we've hurt and to sit with that and to acknowledge that we've hurt somebody and to be accountable to that and let them tell us what they need in order for us to make it right? So again, you see that God, throughout this story, just beneath the surface, uh, was shaping and acting and moving. He was reconciling all things to himself, because that's what he does. Um, he was bridging. He was seeking freedom for Onesimus. He was seeking freedom for Paul and Philemon, who appeared free. Well, maybe not Paul, he was in prison. <laughs> who appeared free to uh, the world in other ways, right? Based on their citizenship, based on their power, based on their gender. Um, they appeared free and powerful in so many ways. And God was active in freeing them because they weren't free in the ways he needed them to be. And likewise, he was freeing Anisimus. Um And so I ask us, you know, what does that look like for us? If God truly is active in your life, what is being free in the gospel look like? And I do want you to think about your spiritual freedom, but I really want you to think about your physical freedom, your emotional freedom, your mental freedom. What does it look like for you to be freer at work in your sense of your call, in your time with your family? Are you really looking for ways that God is active and moving in your life? How do we stop being blocked by all the characters that loom large, the characters that we see that are the loudest that demand our attention. How do we peel that back and see how God is active in our lives? Um, there, was, um, a f- there are a few other readings that were part of the lectionary today, and I want to just read one of them to us in closing as a reminder of God's activity in our lives. Um, and I'm going to use this both as a closing and, a, and as our closing prayer. So if you'd actually just close your eyes and listen to me as I read um, Psalm 139 um, and just let it fill your spirit. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in, behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too, power, too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. For it was you who formed me in my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance, and your book were written all the days that were formed for me, when none of them as yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! I try to count them, They are more than the sand. I come to the end, and I am still with you. Amen.